DJ and PK brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Time to talk NBA playoffs. Time to talk jazz and nuggets overtime with Shane Young, NBA columnist and analyst for Forbes Sports. He joins us now on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Shane, good morning. Good morning, guys. How about you? How are you doing? Good. Well, we just had a really entertaining NBA playoff game. Obviously, the wrong team won. But aside from that, uh, it was it was a really good game. It was really entertaining, back and forth. And obviously, uh, Donovan Mitchell impressed everybody with 57 points in the overtime game. But I'm curious, is there one portion of that that stood out to you? Is there something there specifically that really caught your eye in that performance by Donovan? Oh, absolutely. We all know Donovan is capable of these outbursts. I mean, he, you know, his rookie year burst onto the scene in that Rocket series and, and really all year that rookie year and, and was impressive. Um, but what stood out to me last night or yesterday, I should say, in the afternoon game was just how shifty he was in the pick and roll. I think one thing that he's really improved on and, and kind of uh, enhanced in his game is the ability to get all the way to the rim and the the patience in the pick and roll after Rudy Gobert screens, after Joe Ingles screens, or, you know, whatever the case was, he wasn't settling for the jump shots. Um, he did take 15 threes, but he wasn't settling all, all game. He got to the rim quite a bit, got into the floater range, um, really, really put his imprint on the game. And I, just uh, to me, I think seeing him process the defense, seeing him break down what's happening in, in real time is definitely an improvement from the last couple of years. And it's a funny thing. Like I went to university of Louisville with Donovan and I was in one class with him and seeing him then I did not even expect this to be in, in the realm of possibility. I didn't think anything that he is doing now would be possible in his game. And boy, he's proven a lot of us wrong. I'm wondering if you've seen a difference since they've been in a bubble. Now, we obsess about the Jazz, and so we watch them at a high level in everything that they do. We dissect inside and out. But to me, he's been a different player since he's been down there. Oh, you're totally spot on there. And I think one thing that he decided, I need to pick up on this, or I need to uh, do a little bit better job, is finding Rudy. And although, although Gobert... I only had 11 attempts last night. He was just really, really effective. And I think his Donovan's passing ability, it, that's been on display a lot in the bubble. I think ever since the scrimmage has started, he has been doing a really good job of finding his shooters, finding the role men. And just in general, I think the game has slowed down for Donovan. You're, you're totally right on that. Since he got down there, uh, things are happening in slow motion for him. It's not, it's not this rushed. Uh, every possession is not rushed like it was feeling prior to arriving in the bubble and even last year. I think I think Donovan had a down year in general this year to me, especially on defense, but, but he has totally picked that up since July 30th. Shane Young, NBA columnist and analyst for Forbes Sports, join us. The one thing we've had explained to us here on this show is that this four-month stop 
while they figured out you know how to play basketball in the COVID era and how to do the bubble and all that, was essentially an offseason for players. That while the coaches and the players couldn't have practices, you know, you can still have video sessions. You can still go over stuff. A few guys had access to gyms and could do some one-on-one work. Probably more guys had access than we know, whether it was a high school gym or a church gym or what. You know, the one way or another, they found a way around it. But that the video work and all that kind of stuff, the guys, rookies are second-year guys, second-year guys are third-year guys. Do you buy that? Is that why we're seeing guys like whether it's Porter making a leap forward or Donovan making a leap forward? You know, I kind of do. Um, I'm I'm typically covering the Clippers throughout this playoff run, and one thing that uh, was said or has been said on on the media availability calls is how much time they have to really dissect stuff. I mean, Doc Rivers was even saying, like, normally they don't have practice time like this throughout, throughout the season with the amount of back-to-backs, and, and I think road traveling is a big thing. And now since you're eliminating, eliminating all of the – uh, airport, uh, all the all the airport stuff, taking the buses to and from the arenas, from the hotels. Um, you're eliminating all of that, so that is just five or six extra hours of of time to dig into some film study or just talk to your assistant coaches. And I think that is something that goes unnoticed as well or not recognized is just how much time these superstars and these young players, Donovan included, Michael Porter Jr. included spend with their assistant coaches. And it's not always the head coach, not always the, the main guy. I mean, sometimes they'll, they'll just be sitting on the sidelines or, or sitting in their room on a laptop um, breaking down the last game or the last few games that they've seen of their opponent. So I, I think that that has been a real um, – uh, it's been a real big positive for this bubble situation. And who knows how next year is going to be. Next year we might be back to normal. I kind of doubt it. I think we might it, – it's still up in the air. So I think these players are and, – and these coaches especially are loving the extra time to really talk to their guys, uh, talk to their team, and uh, hone in on fixing, uh, you know, little things here and there. And, and that's how you win playoff games. Playoff games are won on the margins. They're not – they're not one um, – typically you're not going to see this big improvement from a player in the playoffs, but it's going to be something small that they add into their game. And that's where the film study definitely comes into play. I think most of us, me included, recognizes the Clippers and Lakers as favorites to get out of the West. Can you put Denver in that category to any degree? I don't think you can. Um, I know a lot of Denver folks are going to be coming at me for that one, but I, I don't, I don't think you can because when it comes down to it, they have to go through with the Clippers if they want to get to the conference finals. And still, to this day, they don't have anyone that can handle a Paul George or a Kawhi Leonard. I mean, you can – Jeremy Grant does a good job. Michael Porter Jr. has the size. But as we saw, um, I think as we saw in that, in that game one yesterday, like uh, the Jazz attacked Michael Porter Jr. and pick and roll quite a bit. And, and Michael Malone took him off the floor because of it. Um, it he was getting roasted. And, and Denver was giving up a lot of points per possession whenever – Mitchell and Gobert attacked Porter Jr. So um, I I don't think that that team can hold a candle to the Clippers, and that you know that's not such a bad thing. Whenever you consider if Denver is the third best team in the West, obviously Houston and and, and other teams have uh, have a nitpick there. But if Denver is the third best team in the West, not much you can do whenever the two teams in front of you are in the biggest market, 
with the biggest, um, you know, gravitational pull in LA. Like, it, Denver can really take pride in that, and they just have to they have to wait it out. They have to hope that you know the Lakers just aren't. They have to they have to hope LeBron takes a step back next year uh, for the Lakers. They have to hope that the Clippers have some internal stuff going on. So I think if Denver is just right there in third, there's not much you can do about that. Isn't that bad for the league in the long run? That ballpark two-thirds, I mean, you can argue half or three-quarters or whatever, but ballpark two-thirds of the league is not in a place that you would think is ever going to have the gravitational pull to get superstars. And there are some teams that win through the draft, but most championships yeah. are won by acquiring free agency stage. You don't win with young guys, and by the time you're 30 and ready to win, you've been an unrestricted free agent. How bad is that for the league in the long run, you think? I think it's bad for the diehard fans. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily think the casual fans that just love basketball are going to really care. Um, but then you see, like, obviously, it, it is a bad situation when you talk about like Carl Towns is in Minnesota. That's not. That's not ever going to be a really deep competitive team. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the draft. I mean, it takes Utah getting Gobert and Mitchell, and that's how they have to build. You know, no real. Um, free agency, uh, there, there, the free agency has not been a poll that they've been successful in. And then Denver, I think Denver is the homegrown team that they're just they're expecting all their guys. Um, without obviously Paul Millsap was uh, not homegrown there, but I mean they they're just banking on their player development. So yeah, it, I do agree. It's not it's not the greatest look because you're always going to have the California teams. You're always going to have. Um, you know, even Miami, uh, they with Jimmy Butler now signing there. It's 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 something where the big markets are always going to be out in front. It's been that way for the last forty or fifty years. I mean, you know, Lakers Celtics. Um, that's just how that, that's the biggest rivalry in the NBA NBA history. So uh, I'm I don't really expect that to change. And is it a problem? Yeah, to to a lot of us that that really love this league and care about the sport so much, but. I think just the average viewer, they're going to love basketball no matter what. That's just how I view it. How big of a break did the Clippers get with the Porzingis ejection? <laughs> it was huge. Um, I, I I am not one that typically says, if this guy would have been uh, not not ejected or if this guy would have been healthy, like then the game would have been different. But the game might have ended a, a little bit different, differently or the second half would have started differently because – the Mavericks lost all rhythm there, and they still made it competitive. But uh, the ejection was a was a bad one. Not not necessarily the ejection, just the second technical foul. Like the the refs have to know just to let things blow over, and they have to know in the back of their head, okay, Porzingis already has a technical, so let's let's just kind of give them some leeway. I'm not asking for you know the special treatment, but just some some leeway, uh, not give it to them right off the bat. So hey, but you got to credit Marcus Morris for. Causing a little bit of ruckus, and uh, I, he probably knew what he was up to there. So the Clippers just uh, kind of outsmarted Dallas last night. And Luka Doncic, <laughs> I, I swear, the, the fact that Luka Doncic is 21 or 20, I think he's 21 years old, and he's doing this type of damage in the playoffs, uh, four years older than me, I, I, I don't understand how it's possible. So, hey, uh, hopefully the rest of the series is really fun and we have no other scuffles. Do you look back and wonder how the heck anybody passed on Luka Doncic? It seems incredibly <laughs> obvious. I mean, we heard, we didn't see a lot of him, but we heard from people who did, this guy is unbelievable, and he came right out of the gate and he was unbelievable, which makes me think, well, if you scouted him, you would have seen that. It was, 
Oh yeah. I I don't I don't necessarily blame Phoenix because Devin Booker was gonna be a, a ball handling guard that's gonna have a high usage rate and they really wanted to get the, the I'm not gonna say they're Kobe and Shaq, but they wanted to get that parallel set up with Kobe and Shaq and that's Booker and Aiton. So that that is understandable to some degree, but yeah, you do wonder like what what would Booker look like next to Luka Doncic? That would be just the one of the sickest backcourts we've ever seen. And then you think, oh, Sacramento, uh, what did they take? Marvin Bagley third. So that's a horrible, horrible pick in retrospect, considering Bagley can't even stay on the floor. He can't stay healthy. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it is, it's remarkable that they, that the Kings decided, oh, we're just going to pass on this guy because we haven't seen a lot of tape or, or, uh, he hasn't played college basketball. So he, he might not be ready. That, that was completely bogus in, in the time. How much time does Harrell need to get ready to go for the Clippers? Because obviously they'll need more of him down the line. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I'm curious what Doc Rivers' plan is for him. He played 15 minutes last night. Didn't look too bad, but didn't look too good either. Wasn't really running as hard as he can. Um, his conditioning might not be where it needs to be. I would say probably three or four games. Um, and that's and that seems wild, doesn't it? Because hey, if it was just you or me and we were uh, playing for the first time in months. You know, I think Montrez hasn't played since March 10th. We would need a full summer to get to get back into shape and get to get going. But for these professional athletes, I don't think it takes too long. I'm not sure. Maybe you have a different opinion on that. What is going to happen with Philadelphia? They're going to get a little bit of a pass in the playoffs this year because obviously they don't have Simmons, but they had one of the weirdest home road splits going. They got high expectations and you know, they're not top three in the East. Where, where are they going? It's a good question, and uh, I'm wondering what uh, you all think of Philly's roster construction, but I I don't I don't think that they – I don't think their future is that great. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of money tied up in Al Horford and Tobias Harris. Tobias has looked good at times, but still, man, that's, that's a lot of money to be paying for guys that are underperforming. Both of those guys, uh, Harrison and Horford, underperforming. And uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, I think this series is actually going to be competitive. I picked Boston in six over Philly, and last night's game looked kind of like what I thought we would see. Is Philly's not just going to back down without Ben Simmons on the floor? They have a lot more shooting, a lot more spacing, can do a lot more stuff offensively. It's just they cannot they cannot contain uh, Jason Tatum in the full court in the half court or anything. And, and whenever you start letting Boston fire up threes with, with uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kemba Walker, it, it's a nightmare. So uh, the future is probably not too bright for Philly. Um, still going to be a good second-round team uh, as long as they have the, the talent they have. But as we're seeing, the Eastern Conference is actually really good right now. The Eastern Conference is picking up. Shane, we appreciate the time. Thanks for giving us a few minutes here, and enjoy the playoffs. Thanks. Anytime, DJ, BJ. Shane Young, NBA columnist, analyst for Forbes Sports. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.